Well, because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 6 through the end of the letter. This is Paul's last letter before he goes to Jerusalem, his happy home, before he goes to heaven, you know, before he dies. And so we've been looking through the book of 2 Timothy for the past few weeks as a church family, and we'll finish it up tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 5, just because it gives us the command running into verse 6 and following. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. Paul to Timothy. But as for you, be serious about everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist or gospelizer, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is close. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me in the future the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas has deserted me. Because he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself, because he strongly opposed our words. At my first defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the proclamation might be fully made through me, and all the Gentiles might hear. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus has remained at Corinth. I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you as do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Father, this is our prayer that grace would be with us. We pray that your grace and peace and mercy would come to us now as we meditate on your word. Incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to dishonest or material gain. Open our eyes to see wonderful things here in this letter. Unite our hearts to fear your name. Satisfy us this evening. This Lord's Day evening. Satisfy us with your steadfast covenant love that is sealed for us in Christ Jesus. That we would rejoice and be glad in you tonight and all the rest of our days. May your Holy Spirit help us because you taught us that apart from you, we can do nothing. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, we're picking up on fulfilling your ministry or gospelizing ministry. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, Paul gives the command, his sort of his last big command to Timothy. And it's the very last words of verse 5. Fulfill your ministry. Timothy, I'm leaving. No more chances for me to gospelize and spread the gospel and equip churches. I'm dying. I'm leaving the baton to you. So the relay race goes, right? Passes the baton on to Timothy as he's about to fade out of his ministry. His last charge to Timothy. Timothy, you're the next generation. Fulfill your ministry. We learned from 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. When it's convenient and when it's not convenient. When it's received well and when it's opposed. Preach the word. Keep teaching about Jesus and the scriptures no matter what happens. And so there it is. Fulfill your ministry and it's a gospel ministry. And this gospel ministry that Paul is handing to Timothy is a gospel ministry of suffering. Because one thing we learn from the book of 2 Timothy is that all true gospel ministry includes suffering. All true gospel ministry includes opposition from people. If you're going to minister the gospel, unless they're receiving the gospel and receiving your words, they will oppose you. And so if you're going to lead out and shine the light in the darkness, some people will love it and come to the light, as it says in John 3. Others, it says in John 3, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so... When you lead out with the gospel of Jesus Christ and you try to live according to scripture and and call others to live according to the scripture, there will be support and there will be opposition. And that's just part of what it means to fulfill your ministry. So it says here, endure hardship in verse five. Do the work of a gospelizer or an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So now as we get to six through 22, Paul gives us nine reasons why you're supposed to fulfill your ministry personally. So I have two points tonight. Fulfill your ministry, your gospel ministry personally. So I'm looking at each one of our members here and saying each individual member of our church is to personally fulfill their personal gospel ministry. All of you have a ministry. Then, as a church family, we need to to fulfill our gospelizing ministry together as a church family. Those are two different dimensions of fulfilling the ministry. So let's first look at nine reasons why you need to fulfill your gospel ministry personally. Reason number one is in verse six. Verse 6 says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is close. So reason number one is, why should you fulfill your gospel ministry? Because those before you are leaving and passing you the baton. Paul is leaving Timothy behind. I remember, I still pressed really strongly in my memory here from my first few months here. Uh, There was a few of us, the deacons and... um, uh, a few other church leaders, we were in the library praying. And we were praying through the members list. And one of the brothers there started praying and almost tearing up, just thanking God for the hundreds of saints in this church family who have died and have gone to be with the Lord. That's right. They have passed us the baton. They're gone. They're not gospelizing here anymore. They're celebrating in the presence of the Lord forever. But now you have the baton. So you need to fulfill your ministry while you have breath. While, you're, while you have breath and life on this earth, you need to fill up your life fulfilling your gospel ministry. So who passed on the gospel to you? You know, I mean, the, the longer we live, the more, we, the more saints we have who have gone before us to heaven. Who are those who have invested in you? 
Who are those who have planted the seed of the gospel in your life? Your, your former pastors, your former Sunday school teachers, former members of your church who would just invest in you and pray with you. They've passed on to you a treasure and you are to fulfill that ministry. The gospel is always one generation from extinction, humanly speaking, of course. Now, Christ will build his church, but if everyone stopped sharing the gospel and no one else got saved, the gospel would, there would be no more gospel people. You know, just like humanly speaking, if everyone stopped having babies, then humanity would go extinct in a generation, right? I mean, if just everyone stopped having babies from this point on, humanity would be gone eventually. Same thing with the gospel. So we need to keep passing it on. God passed the gospel to us through people, and we pass it on to others. Second reason why you're to fulfill your ministry, still in verse 6, is look at, Paul says he's poured out as a what? A drink offering. So he's a living sacrifice, to use Romans 12, Romans 12.2's words. Paul is a living sacrifice, and you are a living sacrifice if you're a Christian. We're going to learn this in the next passage in Mark. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You're a living sacrifice. Paul was an offering being poured out. Paul isn't trying to preserve himself. He's not a drink offering preserved in safety and shelved in safety. He doesn't want to be put on the shelf. He wants to be poured out. That's how we live our lives. We go hard. This is not the Sabbath rest, according to Hebrews, right? This is a cursed world, and life is hard here. But there is rest. Jesus is coming. Heaven is a heart, you know, a breath away for us, you know. Life is a vapor. So it's not time now to preserve yourself. It's time to pour yourself out, take risks for God's glory and for spreading the gospel. That's the second reason why you're to fulfill your ministry. Thirdly, again from verse 6, this is just an implication, life is short. Paul's going to die. Life is short. James 4.14 says, you don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are, like a, you're, you're, you are like a smoke that appears for a while, then vanishes. So why should you fulfill your ministry? Because your life is like a vapor. It's here, then it's gone. You don't have much time to do the good works God has prepared for you. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you know that God has good works for you prepared tonight? Even sitting here and singing God's word was prepared by God for you to do. For Ken to come up here and lead, for Brandon to play the thing back there, for us to sing to each other. You know that was prepared before the beginning of the world for you to do? Isn't that amazing? And the good works you have tonight and the good works you have this week are prepared by God. So fulfill it because your life is short. Fill up your life with good works and then we will move on in death. That's, that's a third reason. A fourth reason, now let's move on from verse 6 to verse 7. He said, I have fought the good what? Fight. So why should you continue and fulfill your ministry? Because you're in the good fight. There is opposition to us. Look at verse, what, uh, verse 14. We have an opponent named in verse 14. Who's the opponent in verse 14? Paul's opponent. Alexander. He did Paul great harm. And wasn't Paul an opponent of the gospel before he was saved? Right? Persecuting the church. Why do we need to fulfill our ministry? Because we're in a war. Now, we're not trying to fight against people physically, but there is still a spiritual warfare going on, and other people will oppose you. So there, it's not time to relax. You have the gospel. 
You have been given the gospel. This is not time to relax. We are in a warfare. Let me give you a picture of this warfare. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Keep your finger in 2 Timothy, but turn to the left to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. There's a lot of ways of describing this warfare. I have three passages here in my notes. I'm just going to give you one for the sake of time. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. I'm sorry, I'm in 1 Corinthians. Wondering why it's not the right passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Here's what Paul writes. For though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way. So Paul's in a physical body, but does he wage a physical war? Is Paul telling his church to arm up with guns and bullets or swords and knives? No. It's not a, it's not a fleshly war. Look at verse 4. Since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for what? Notice this, for the what? The pulling down of strongholds. Now, there's, uh, there's three ways of interpreting or translating this word strongholds. strongholds. It could be a fortress like it is here. It could be a tomb. And it can also be a prison. We are destroying strongholds. We're destroying prisons. We're destroying tombs. Okay, that's a weird way of talking about our warfare. What does he mean? Well, read on. What do we demolish? In verse 4 still, we demolish what? Arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the what? The knowledge of God and we are taking every thought what? Captive to Christ. Captive to obey Christ. So in other words, what kind of war is this? You're taking what captive to Christ? Every what? Thought. So what kind of warfare is it? It's an intellectual warfare. It's a warfare of ideas. It's a warfare of opinions. It's a, war, a warfare of perspectives, of worldviews. It's a warfare of points of view. We take every thought captive to Christ. What does that mean? We demolish other opinions. Not, not, not with feisty being mean-spirited, but with love and truth. Right? What I try to do when I read the Bible myself is have God destroy the ideas in my mind that are not captive to Christ. Right? We want to, just like we learned this morning, we don't want to set our mind on the things of man, like Peter did. We want to set our mind on what? The things of God. Which means there's a warfare going on, spiritually. Spiritual warfare, is when we share the gospel, we're telling people to repent of their idea of what they thought. Right? You think God will save you by your good works? Wrong. Destroy that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You think God will save you just because you're a good person? Wrong. You know, and we're sinners. And you're using the Bible and the Spirit of God. Taking, you speak the Word of God. The Spirit of God comes and destroys and demolishes strongholds that are holding people prisoner to Satan. That's what we do. That's, our, that's a description of the warfare. It's an ideological warfare. That doesn't mean we need to be philosophers. We need to be Bible lovers. And Bible speakers. Because what is the sword of the Spirit? The Word of God. So we use the Bible to change other people's thoughts, opinions. Because they're strongholds. And it's holding them captive. It's like a tomb. And it's holding them dead in the tomb. And we want to get them out of the tomb. We want to break them free from the mindset that they have that is holding them down in sin. And so we pray and preach the gospel. Why do we need to fulfill our gospel ministry? Because we are in a good fight. 
We're fighting for good. We're not fighting to defeat them in a sense that we're trying to destroy them. We're, we're fighting to love them, right? We're fighting to save them. We're fighting to sanctify them. We're fighting to help them grow in their Christian life. That's what we're fighting for. It's a warfare. And so we must fulfill our ministry because we are in the good fight. Just like Paul said, I have fought the good fight. Not only has he fought the good fight, he has finished the race. So this is the fifth reason why you need to fulfill your ministry is because you're in a race. And when you run in a race, you run to win, right? Hebrews 12 says that, um, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of God. We run this race of faith and we run to win. We run to finish. So keep fulfilling your ministry. Keep gospelizing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.24, Don't you know that runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Exercise self-control. Win the race. Fulfill your ministry. That's a fifth reason why you need to fulfill your gospel ministry is because we're in a race. Well, let, me, let me read one more verse here that I really enjoy. Acts 20, verse 24. Paul says, But I count my life of no value to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Paul wants to finish his course. That's my prayer. As a father of young children, you know, before, when you don't have any children, you feel invincible. And then you have children, you want to protect them from every single danger that the world could ever have, right? And then you start to realize very quickly that you can't do it. You're just not God. I can't protect my kids from everything. One of the things, one of my biggest fears is that I die, I die before my kids grow up so that I could watch over my daughters and help them find godly husbands and watch over my son to, to raise him to be a godly man. That's one of my fears is that I die before, before, before I get that opportunity and they, they're raised in a, um, by a single mom. That's one of my fears. And verses like this take me back to say, where God, again, I need to destroy any thought that's not captive to Christ. That fear is not glorifying Jesus. Verses like this remind me where God is saying, PJ, finish your course. Your course might be until you're 36 next year. And then I take you. Just finish your course. Pour out your life. I'll take care of your family. I'll take care of everything. Just finish your course. Finish your ministry. Fulfill it. That's true of all, all of us. That's it. This is not our home. Jerusalem is our happy home. Right? Not earth. So fulfill your ministry Finish your work. To live as Christ and to die is? Gain. Do we believe that? It's hard for me to believe. I'm, I'm confessing my own weakness as I say it. Do I really believe that dying today for me is gain? It's hard. Lord, help my heart. Take my thoughts captive to you. Demolish any arguments or strongholds in my mind that are clinging too tightly to this earth. Because I want, I want to finish my course. And I want everyone in our church to run this race well and fulfill our ministry. That's the fifth reason. Sixth reason why we need to fulfill our ministry. Look at verse 7 again. It says, 
I have kept the what? What did Paul keep? The faith. Again, we have been given a treasure to keep. And that treasure is the faith of the gospel. So that's why we pass it on. Because it's not a gift for you to hoard. It's a gift for you to share. What is this gospel? Look at We're in 2 Timothy. Look at chapter 1, verse 11. It says, For this gospel I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher. I'm sorry, verse... Um, and then verse 13 says, hold on to this pattern of sound teaching. This is the faith given to him. Verse 14 says, guard through the Holy Spirit who lives in us, that good thing entrusted to you. So Paul's saying, I kept it. I kept the, the gospel that was given to me. What is this gospel? Look at 2 Timothy 1.9. What is this gospel? He has what? What has God done in 2 Timothy 1.9? He has what? Saved us. That's the gospel. That God saves. That, that's a summary of the gospel. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God saves sinners. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. We're not saved by our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. And this has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. God has given us grace. And we're saved not by our good works, but by Christ's good works. By faith in Jesus and repentance from sin, we are saved. You have been given the gospel. The greatest gift you've ever been given. Greater than your family. Greater than your church. Greater than your best friends. Greater than your temporary health. The gospel is the best gift given to you. And so because it's been given to you, fulfill your gospel ministry of gospelizing other people until God calls you home. That's the sixth reason. Seventh reason why you need to fulfill your gospelizing ministry personally. Verse 8, 2 Timothy 4, 8. What's reserved for Paul in heaven in the future? A what? A crown of righteousness. Why should you fulfill your gospel ministry? Because guess what's there for you? A crown of righteousness. It's not just for Paul, he says here in verse 8, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but to who? To all those who what? Love his appearing. That's all Christians. All Christians are supposed to love his appearing. The crown of righteousness is there reserved for you. Now, the crown is the victor's crown, usually a wreath. Now, a wreath is basically worthless by itself, right? We could have made many wreaths out of the, the, the trees and branches we cut down yesterday. Could easily make a wreath that was worthless. By itself, it's worthless. Their wreaths were made of evergreen leaves rather than gold and silver. But it was greatly prized, not because of the wreath itself, but what it symbolized. Victory in, in Olympic Games. So it wasn't the value of the wreath itself, but what it symbolized. And so this is a crown of what? In verse 8, crown of righteousness, a crown of righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is, is, well, God's righteousness is his unswerving devotion to uphold the glory of his name against every competitor. What is righteousness for us? When we live lives for the glory of God's name to the, to the, to the disloyalty of everything else. That's the crown of righteousness and it's given to all who love his appearing. If you want to know what a true Christian is, one of the evidences of a true Christian is that they love the appearing of Jesus Christ. Next reason is in verses 16 and 17. Why should you fulfill your ministry? Verse 16 and 17. Because the Lord is with you. Look at verse 16. Paul here says, At my first defense, who stood with him? 
No one. May not be counted against them. But who was with him if it was no one? Look at verse 17. Who stood with him? The Lord stood with him and strengthened him so that the proclamation might be fully made through me and all the Gentiles might hear. So why should you continue in your gospel ministry? Who's with you? The Lord is with you. Paul's there on trial. And what is he concerned about? Is he concerned about getting free? According to verse 17? No. What was he concerned about? Proclaiming what? The gospel, right? That's what his life is about. Proclaiming the gospel. And that's what our lives are about too. And Jesus is with us. Remember when he said, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey or observe everything I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. As you go make disciples this week with your neighbors, as you love your neighbor to the very same degree you love yourself, Jesus is personally with us. He's with you in those conversations. He's with you when you're opposed. He's with you when you're received. He's with you. That's why you need to fulfill your ministry. It's almost like Jesus standing around with you and saying, well, are we going to do something or what? You know, you're, you're interacting with all these non-Christians. Are, are you going to move with gospel intentionality or are we just going to stand here? Am I just going to be with you while, while you shoot the breeze? Or is there going to be some intentionality going on here? Fulfill your ministry. The next reason here, reason number nine, is in verse 18. Why should we do this? Because the Lord protects us. Look at verse 18. Paul is so confident here. This is what makes him so bold and fearless. The Lord will rescue me from what? Every evil work and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Okay. Question here. Theological question. We got a little bit of time for this. Theological question here. Paul says that God will rescue him from every evil work. How did Paul die? His head was cut off. All right, I want to know this. I've heard this. Do you think Alexander the coppersmith was the... Uh, uh, he was the one that uh, had him put in prison? I, I don't... I mean, all we have of Alexander is verse 14, right? Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me, but we don't know what that entails... Yeah, that would be one speculation. He's in a dungeon, right? Paul is? Paul is. At certain times, yes. Yeah. All right. Now, this is the last letter that he's written. Okay. Right? Yes. All right. Who would have been better to have been with him than Luke? Who better than Luke? I don't know. Who? Well, he's a doctor. Right, he is. Yeah. He could administer to him in his suffering. Sure. You'll never know the suffering that the Apostle Paul went through when he was in this dungeon. Right. Uh, writing these sure. Yeah. I mean, he's asking for coats. He's cold. Sure. And, and so here's the question with that. If Paul was beheaded, if Paul was beheaded, is verse 18 true? The Lord will rescue me from what? How many evil works? All evil works. So did the Lord rescue Paul from beheading? I mean, he was beheaded. He sent him to glory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, he took him home. And so, here's here's what I want to... Now, the thing that Paul did... Okay. Uh, first of all, Timothy was well-educated as far as Christianity is concerned. He started with his, grand, with his mother-in-law, his grandmother and his mother. And then Paul picked him up. And uh, 
betrayed him. Now he's sending him to Ephesus. Uh, Paul is training those that will take his place when he leaves. Now we have four that he brings greetings to that are there. And uh, it doesn't say that they come to his defense in the first trial or the second Right. He said he was alone. They were in Rome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, so but so if, if if God rescued Paul, yet he was beheaded, look at the rest of the verse. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will do what? What will God do? Bring him safely into his heavenly kingdom. This is the definition of what rescuing is. Rescuing is God preserving Paul's faith in him so that he safely enters into the kingdom. Even if it means getting your head chopped off. In other words, God doesn't promise physical safety, but he does promise to rescue his people from every evil work. Because you know what's worse than getting your head chopped off? Abandoning the faith. You know what's worse than getting your head chopped off? Denying Jesus Christ. You know what's worse than getting your head chopped off? Compromising with Christ. That's worse. And so Paul understands, the Lord will rescue me from these things and, and, and so and bring him safely into glory. He rescues Paul from from uh, other people destroying his faith. And that's what God will do with you. He who began a good work in you will be what? Faithful to complete it. Romans eight twenty eight, all things work together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Even getting your head chopped off works together for good. Even being imprisoned, even getting fever in prison. And getting whipped in the back or opposed by other people here in Bellflower, opposed by your neighbors, opposed by Christians, no matter what, all of it, God is protecting you. You cannot be unprotected. You're not vulnerable. There is no risk. In one sense, there's a risk. You risk heartache. You risk physical pain. But there is no risk in the sense that God won't protect you. And that's what made Paul bold. Paul said, you could kill me if you want to, but I will finish my course. And God will rescue me. And he will bring me safely home into glory. And when you have a mentality like that, from every single Christian, imagine if every Christian in L.A. had that mentality as they're sharing and engaging their neighbors. That fearless, we, we do not have a spirit of fear, but one of power, self-control, and sound judgment. Don't shrink and be ashamed, but share in the pain of suffering. Why? Because the Lord protects you. So that's why you need to fulfill your ministry. I'll repeat those. The corporate one, or I guess we'll just pick up next week, but we will finish 2 Timothy eventually, next week for sure. But here are the nine reasons why we need to fulfill our gospelizing ministry. I'll just recap them briefly. Why do you need to fulfill your ministry? Because those before you are leaving and they passed you the baton. Secondly, because you're a living sacrifice. Third, because your life is short. Fourth, because you're in the good fight. Fifth, because you're in the race. Sixth, because you've been given a treasure to keep. Seventh, because there's a crown reserved for you. Eighth, because the Lord is with you. And ninth, because the Lord will protect you from every evil act and bring you safely into his kingdom. So therefore, brothers and sisters, fulfill your gospel ministry, even in suffering. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Paul's life and example and teachings. We thank you more importantly 
that he pointed us to Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We pray, Father, that you would help us, every member of our church, help us to fulfill our ministry, to endure hardship, to do the work of a gospelizer. Help us, Lord, when we get weary. Help us to remember that we will reap if we faint not. Help us to encourage each other as we think about that next Sunday night. What does it mean or how do we fulfill our ministry as a church family and not just as individuals? Continue to teach us through your word and through each other and through our life together. And may we make Christ known here in Bellflower and Downey in Southeast Los Angeles County. Help us to be faithful to fulfill our ministry. We thank you for all of our unfaithfulness that Christ has died for it all. And now as we go to our prayer time, Father, we pray that this, even these good works of prayer would be to the fulfilling of our gospel ministry. For our brothers and sisters who are going to leave now, we do ask that you would strengthen them for the week ahead to fulfill their ministry. We love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.